When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in the game's life out here in Texas or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast, the podcast about normalizing black wealth. It's your boy, Jalen, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Fellas, how y'all doing? What's good? What's good? What's good? It's your boy, Jared, another fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance checking in. Man, I'm good, man. I can't complain. It's a cool little Saturday and everything, you know, working on the weekend like usual. Let's get it. Hey, man, I just want to say, yeah, it's a good little Saturday, man. It finally stopped raining, bro. We had a shitty week, but, man, we about to have a great, great podcast. I want to introduce our guest, man. you probably seen him all over the internet. He burning it up, bro. He didn't been on The Breakfast Club. Like, he is that guy when it comes to learning about your mortgages. I'm talking about none other than MG, the mortgage guy. Matt, what's what good? up, my brother? What's good? What's good? What's good, fellas? Um, shout out to the Black Wealth Renaissance. Shout out to all your um, followers and all your people who follow your page, man. I really appreciate the opportunity for you guys having me on your platform. I definitely don't take this lightly, man. I'm truly humbled by this. 
Hey, man, thank you for coming on, bro. We really, really appreciate it. No doubt. Anytime. Yes, sir. What you got, Jerry? Sarcasm is just one of my many talents. I'll fuck with that. That's a fact. That's a fact. And, you know, I'm I'm very sarcastic. You know, second language (laughs) for me is sarcasm. So, uh, you know, but respectfully, though. Respectfully and with love. (laughs) (laughs) Most importantly, with love. I love it, man. You can't take life and just be serious all the time, bro. Nah, not at all, bro. Not at all. Yeah, man. But, man, we're just going to jump right into it, Matt. So can you kind of tell us, you know, what's your background and how did you become MG the Marcus guy? How did you really just become to become this vessel of so much knowledge that I see you just putting out? Ah, man, 18 years of trials and tribulations, you know, being tested and making a mess. Right. So what you guys and what everybody's seeing for me right now is my mess. You know, my mess has become my message. Hmm. And thankfully, people are listening to it and are able to now execute at a high um, velocity and, you know, understand mortgage financing. You know, I've been in the game for 18 years. First of all, my name is Matt Garland in MLS number 58700. I'm a licensed loan officer. Um, I'm based here in New York, but I help people nationwide. I've been in the mortgage business, like I said, for 18, this November will be 18 years. So when I came into the business, it was the wild cowboy days, right? Just to tell you the truth, I didn't even know what a mortgage was when I first came into business. You know, it was just like, I got in by accident. I was broke. I was on my couch one day and my best friend, who's now a pastor in Atlanta, told me, hey, you should look into being a loan officer. And I'm like, what's a loan officer? He's like, yo, you know, our boy, little aunt, he's down here in North Carolina making a killing, you know, doing loans. And I'm like, what the hell is a loan officer? What's a mortgage? He's like, you know, when people buy a house, <laughs> they need a loan. I'm like, oh, okay. I looked in the paper, saw people were hiring for it. I went on three interviews, got all three jobs. I picked the best one, which I didn't know, you know, what was best or good or bad. I just went with a gut feeling. And I started off telemarketing. And then from there, you know, second year in the business, I think my, that was my first year over six figures. And I never looked back from there. I said, man, this is great. I'm young. I'm 41 right now. I'll be 42 in August. So, you know, I got to think I'm in my mid 20s. I'm a college dropout. I went to school in North Carolina. Shout out to NCCU. Um, But I'm a dropout, but I still rep for the Eagles. And, you know, all my friends graduated. They had a plan. I didn't have a plan. So the mortgage business, I tell people this all the time, man. The mortgage business saved my life. Real estate saved my life because I had no clue what I was going to do in my 20s. I was just trying to survive like everyone else. And thankfully, you know, it's been a hell of a ride, lots of mess and lots of trials and tribulations and, you know, buying real estate, losing real estate. I mean, the whole nine yards, man. So what you guys see right now, the knowledge is just 18 years of the wild cowboy days, going through the great recession, you know, losing property myself, gaining it all back, you know, losing things like craziness, you know, over 18 years. I should write a book. And you should. Um, it sounds like it. No, nah, I got some stories. I definitely got some stories from the wild cowboy days that I might have to put. If you catch me on one of my lives on IG, sometimes I go into some of these stories. They're wild. Um, sure. but, you know, a lot of trials and tribulations, man, and just um, not giving up. You know, persistence beats resistance every day of the week. And you just can't give up. If you know something, if you feel it in your heart, no matter if you're making money or not, like I love the mortgage business. I love the real estate business. And I knew there was nothing else that could pay me like this. And I just, I kept on figuring it out. Like if I failed at something, 
I didn't give up. You know, maybe got a little discouraged, but I just didn't give up. I just kept on going, kept on going. Now you see 18 years later, the popularity of, you know, MG the Mortgage Guy has grown. But, you know, that's 18 years of work, man. Blood, sweat, and tears, literally, to get to the point where I'm at right now. And I thank God for every single obstacle, every piece of adversity, you know, every failure. I thank God for it because I wouldn't be here today without it. Hey, man. And that's bars. That's some facts right there. Because I don't think you could become successful without that. Because a lot of people, they see the success stories. They be like, man, I want that. I want that but they don't understand what you have to actually go through to get what you got to do. Whenever we talked to Jay Morrison, he said the same thing, man. Like you got to go through some trials and tribulations. You got to make sure that you really built for what you meant for, because mm-hmm. sometimes you got to be tested just like a product that's coming off the assembly line. It goes through tests. They make sure that their product is going to be able to withhold whatever its duty needs to be fulfilled. And I think that's how God tests us through like our trials and tribulations and just making sure, okay, man, you might have a little defect there. Let me see how I can strengthen you. Let me see how I can purge this from you. So I think that speaks volumes to what's needed for success. Absolutely. You got to be careful what you pray for in life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> God is going to give it to you. Amen. So I kind of want to get into the nitty gritty, my brother, like just with mortgages and just really I- just start talking about it because I know that's something that us, our culture, we really don't understand we really don't even get so like whenever you first started you said you were fresh to the game you didn't even know what a mortgage was so whenever you were fresh to the game how did you really just learn and start figuring out okay this mortgage game it might not be as hard as it seemed or it might not be a foreign language how did you navigate through it so when i first came in again again it was no social media there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there was no Snapchat, you know, no TikTok, it was none of this shit, right? You barely had Google. And, you know, Facebook was, you know, two, three years in my career is when Facebook first came out, but it was more colleges, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So how did I learn? Trial and error, you know what I'm saying? Trial and error. It was act as if, you know, one of the things that some of my early mentors told me, look, people don't know that you're not a millionaire. But if you act like a millionaire, they would never ask you if you are one, right? So you got to have that swag, that mindset, that confidence, right? And you get the deals. And when you get the deals, then you'll be in a position now to make your mistakes, so to speak, right? Experience is always the best teacher, nothing else. So you have to go through, I had to get deals in order to learn. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. And I knew that I was going to mess up on deals because there was really no one around me that was going to really take my hand and teach me. They may give me little tips and nuggets and things like that. But again, unless I'm a part of their team or something like that, where they're making money off of me, there was no real help. It was just a matter of trial and error, getting deals, messing up, figuring out from there, reading the guidelines, really studying and mastering the guidelines. That's one of the things I did early on in my career is I said, okay, I may not know how to get the business right now, but when I do, I need to know what I'm talking about. 
Because for me, I feel uncomfortable if I don't know what I'm talking about. It's only so much you can pretend or act mm-hmm. as if, right? Yeah. At some point, you got to be able to show and prove. So for me, it was more about studying those loan guidelines, seeing what products were out there, and seeing how can I now use those products to find the buyers for that, right? So again, back then, there was a lot of like stated income loans and no doc loans, right? Perfect for self-employed and business owners. So I targeted a lot of business owners and self-employed folks because I knew this was a product that would be right up the alley, right? So doing things like that and just getting my experience, start closing deals, and then actually start buying homes yourself. yourself. Once you start buying real estate, you're going through it from a different perspective as now a consumer. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I really started learning the process of like, damn, this is how you do this. This is, oh, now I understand it. So from my own personal experience of buying real estate, I translated that into now working with my clients and then kind of took it from there. But I didn't really get that formal, that real education, and I'll be honest with you guys, until the market crashed because it was too easy back in the day to get a loan. If you had a pulse and a heartbeat, you can get a mortgage, <laughs> right? You didn't need no documentation. You didn't need anything, right? Mm-hmm. So it was so easy. But when the market crashed, and I personally lost several homes from this because I didn't have the education. What you guys see right now, the house hacking and everything like that, the four three two one strategy that I talk about, that's probably my biggest mistake that I didn't do. Like most people, the American dream was go to the suburbs, get out the hood, buy the nice house with the backyard so you can have barbecues and bar mitzvahs and all this other stuff, right? For me, it wasn't buying multifamilies and assets over liabilities. It was like, all right, let me go buy this house. I, wanna, I had a young family. Let me go to the suburbs. Let me show that I'm keeping up with the Joneses, that I'm making money. And then I can go buy investment properties because it was so easy. So these are the things that I learned before the crash. And then after the crash, you lose all of this and you realize, damn, I really don't know what I'm doing. I really didn't have the proper foundation on the proper people around me. And then that's when I really started figuring out. It's like, oh, I need to have a CPA. I need to have, because I, I had tax issues, right? So mm-hmm. I'm like, I need these people. Let me not use this H&R block and no disrespect to the tax repairs. But for me, people kind of screwed me. You know what I'm saying? And messed up my taxes and I owed a bunch of money, right? So I just started learning after the crash of like, what did I do wrong and what can I do better? And then when I went to go work for Chase, I worked for Chase, JP Morgan Chase for like four years from 2010 to 2014. And two of those years were spent on Wall Street. Hmm. And I'm dealing with the bankers, you know, the hedge fund guys, you know, the stock guys, you know, the finances. That's when I learned that 1% play. Uh, like how these people are really moving and shaking. So after I left Chase and I got that education, you know, that's when I kind of put it all together around 2014. And it's kind of what you guys see right now, 2020, 2019 online, is the conversations I started having with my clients from 2014. Probably for like the last six, seven years, I started having these type of wealth building conversations, you know, buying multifamilies first, getting rental income coming in versus buying a single family, you know, things of that nature. And it was all because of the crash, because if the crash didn't happen, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys right now because I'll be just too rich. (laughs) My mindset would just be like my ego, right? Ego is a big thing. You develop that when you're young, you're getting all this money. No one teaches. Like what we idolize growing up in our hoods is entertainers, 
and drug dealers. Drug dealers, yep. Right? Yep. Athletes, right? And what they have, cars, clothes, clothes jewelry, women, women. They're out all the time because that's what we're seeing, right? Mm-hmm. So if that never happened, that's all I was doing back in the day when I was younger. So my ego was like this. My head was like this. So I'm so happy that everything happened and it crashed and I lost because that was the universe humbling me and bringing me down to a point to where I'm, I can go to a big corporation, work from them and not have an ego and just like teach me, teach me how this business is supposed to be. And I think that's a problem with people in our day and age is people let their ego get the best of them versus taking a mentor or going to try to learn from somebody. You know what I'm saying? And I'm a student always, right? And that's what I kind of learned because of the crash is become a student, learn, build teams, deepen your relationships with your clients. And now it's taken off, you know, seven years later. So it's a beautiful thing. Man, that's crazy. From the jump of going, like starting with being a loan officer all the way to like learning the game and getting to where you are currently to where now you're teaching the game. And I think that was so crucial in what you said, like that portion where you was like, basically you had to learn the game to be a good loan officer. Then you had to relearn the game to like be an investor. You know what I'm saying? But like you were always willing to learn. And I very much so agree with you because I think that's where a lot of people get caught up to. It's like between the ego and like the ego feeling like, oh, I automatically should get it or automatically you should just give me the information. It's like, nah, bro, I had to go learn the game. Like, I might give you certain portions of it, but you might have to learn the game too. 100%. Look, you can lead them to water. You can't make them drink. Right? So when I was coming up in the game, there were folks that didn't look like me that were telling me, young man, stop spending your money. You're going crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But they old and white. I'm looking at them like, you. you're crazy. Mm -hmm. You see my man over here got a freaking Ferrari. I need that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He got the $5,000 suit on today. I need that, right? Because that's just where my mindset was. But I'm thinking, you know, I can go spend 20 grand in Vegas and come back to a 50K check. So it was like the money was like on trees almost, right? So there was no respect for the money, Mm -hmm. right? We got to respect our money. If you don't respect your money, then the money ain't going to respect you. So with me just going crazy, like not having no respect for it, it's burning holes in my pocket. It's burning holes in my bank account. I got to spend as soon as I get it. So me going through that, losing everything, like I said, and now coming full circle now where now I'm patient. Now I don't need to jump on every investment I see. I don't need to go spend money crazy on certain things. I don't need to own 100 units. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't need to do all these mm-hmm. things. I can own four or five properties, still make good cash flow and diversify my money into other different things. You know, these are the things that I'm on right now. So I think, you know, once you get to a certain, again, I'm 42, men, we mature slow. Let's just call the spade a spade. I'm going to just keep it a buck with you, right? I'm just probably turning, like getting close to 40 in my mind, you know what I'm saying? Like versus, you know, when you're 40, you're really like 30. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's maturity plays a big part of everything as well. And just being able to want to see yourself do better in life and grow. So, you know, that's kind of what it is. And that's big facts. And I kind of want to go back, my brother, to what the actual duties of, like, a loan officer is just for some of those people who kind of don't know exactly what you're doing. Because I heard you say, you know, I work with a company, then I went to Chase. 
I just want to make sure that they're not thinking that first year I was working with a bank and then you went to another bank. How does that work? So when you're a loan officer, so pre the crash, pre 2009, let's just say, mm-hmm. you didn't need a license to be a loan officer. Yeah, seriously. Really? You didn't need, you didn't need an NMLS number? No, nah, there was no such thing as NMLS. That shit just came up when Barack took, shout out to President Barack, by the way. Really? <laughs> when Barack came in office. Yeah, there was no NMLS number. Are you kidding me? What? I, I just told you, my best friend called me, said, yo, you should go do mortgages. And I looked in the paper, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because the AOL dollar was that slow, right? And I looked in the paper and I saw people were hiring and I went the next day and I got three jobs right on the spot. Oh, damn. I just assumed they trained you. Like, I assumed they Hell made no. you. They don't train it. It's like, yo, you a hustler? Yes. You want to grind? Yes. You want to make six figures? Yes. You want to make seven figures? Yes. Okay. Here's they a phone book. Car salesman shit. Yo, bro, this is the, we wild African dogs out here. This is the jungle, baby. Like this, the real estate and mortgage business is the dark side. Right. So when I came in, I literally had a phone book and said, yo, these are all this is when people used to use yellow pages, right? And white pages. You right. used to advertise your business in them. You have your information listed in these directories so people can find you, right? Mm-hmm. So we would know who all the homeowners are because of yellow pages. And you literally going down a line, calling them, hey, you want to refinance? <laughs> What's your interest rate? So they gave me scripts and with the say and a couple rebuttals, but it was more so like, yo. You got to make 300 mm-hmm. phone calls a day, young man. Or, and if you ain't getting three, four deals a week, we got to fire you. So your phone game got to be tight, bro. Crazy. Your phone be crazy. Look, man, I tell people, I'm not trying to get a little vulgar on the platform, but I hey, tell people do like your this. Thing. If you can, look, I equate a lot of things to chasing down the opposite sex, right? So if you can go out here and get some buns, <laughs> you can sell something and close some deals. Because depending on the woman you're chasing, it's going to take a lot of work <laughs> for yeah. you. You know what I mean? So if you put that same type of attention <laughs> into your sales career, like you're a closer. If you're a closer there, you could be a closer there. That's but, just kind but, of how I view it. But that's crazy though, bro, because you're hitting the head on the nail with something with mastering sexual transmutation. Because mm. I talk about that shit all the time. If you can chase some ass, you yeah. can use that same energy on going do something else that's productive. Like, you looked at it the same way. Okay, what do I have to do to persuade this woman to get with me? So now you just got to say, okay, how can I use this same tactic that I just used mm-hmm. to actually close this deal to make me some money? Something yeah. that's going to be more productive. But that's how I looked at it, right? You know, when I was 100 and something pounds, lighter, skinny, looking great, like I'm out here like in the world, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter what my financial pockets and my financial situation looking like, we out in the world, we trying to get it, baby. You know what I'm saying? So I looked at sales as the same thing. Like, yo, if I can go back this bad one, why can't I get this person to refinance with me? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If, you know, what, what Nas said, if your G is tight, you can... Shorty the same night, right? So, like, I kind of look at it the same way. Like, my G is tight. I got game for days. Yo, let me pound these phones and let me get some deals. And that's kind of how I learned to become a loan officer. There was no licensing. That only came into effect after the crisis because the government felt like loan officers were rogue, banks were rogue, appraisers were rogue. So they put down all this regulation. And that's why I said when I went to Chase, that's when I learned, right? Mm-hmm. 
Me going to Chase, and I'm going to keep this 100%. Me going to Chase was like me getting my MBA in mortgage banking. That's when I learned the importance of deepening your relationship, customer relationships, database management, you know, understanding, you know, your customers, deepening the relationships to get referrals. You know, I wasn't working with real estate agents until 2011. Because when I first came in, I didn't need a realtor. Just going through the books. I'm in the book. I'm in the phone. And then once technology started coming up, we started getting leads. So I'm in the joint 18 telemarketers now. <laughs> and with my headphones on too. And I got my team of telemarketers hitting the phone. I'm hitting the phone. And we just churning and burning, baby. Damn. We churning and burning. So that's kind of how I learned to be a loan officer. And I tell people all the time, it was, if you watch the movie Boiler Room, mm-hmm. watch that movie Boiler Room. That's kind of like my environment when I came in in this business. And you guys will probably understand if you watch that movie, but it was crazy. I had to learn by trial and error. Like even now, someone wants to be a loan officer. That loan officer class doesn't teach you how to sell. It teaches you the law, mm-hmm. right? It I, I heard the same the, thing for real estate. It don't teach you how to sell. It don't teach you how, how to sell. No. compliance. That's it. That's compliance, period. It's not sales. There's a big difference between compliance and sales. So you need to know, and that's why compliance, right? I got on here. I told you what my license number is. Stay compliant, yeah. right? Because at some point I'm acting like a loan officer because I'm explaining things, right? Mm-hmm. Got to stay in compliance. So, but that ain't going to teach me how to sell. They ain't going to teach me how to get to a bag. And most importantly, it's not going to teach me how to help others get to their bag. And that's what this is all about. <sighs> Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. That's it. That's the tweet. I am obsessed. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's a go. The Black Wealth Renaissance presents the eight-week live webinar series. <laughs> yeah. Come and get equipped to win in personal finance, real estate, stocks, insurance, and more. Class is in session. And actually, that's a portion I kind of wanted to hop into next, like, and really ask you about was like, what has been that experience of like helping other people and like what have you seen with some of the things they've had to overcome? Because I know a lot of folks that I know don't know the first thing about getting the mortgage. Yeah, like yeah. they just know I got to save up from, some money and then I got to go in. Yeah, I mean, look, being a loan officer, I think, is my superpower, right? For years, I didn't realize how much power it is for me to be a loan officer, especially in 2020. And I'll get to that in a second. But it's the best, most rewarding thing is to be able to take people like yourself who don't know nothing about a loan to now hear you guys talk after you've been dealing with me and having conversations. When I had clients schooling their people, like, or when I see my people that I know I've been talking to for months and they're in my comments answering questions, I'm like, yo, they don't even have to do a deal with me. I already made my money right there, right? Because now I know when real estate comes up in their circle, in their community, they got the right information. Mm-hmm. And now they're able to teach each one of those people in their community that never heard of an MG the Mortgage Guy on that Garland, that never seen me on a breakfast club, right? But now that person's able to teach that. That's the power. And that's what social media has taught me in the past two years is that what I do right now, 2017, 18, I thought was corny. And when I used to see loan officers trying to talk about FHA loans or conventional loans. I'm like, yo, look at this. This is corny. Like, who's watching this crap, right? But I didn't realize that it was just dumb. They were corny. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) They were corny, but 
not the information wasn't. And it was the way they were talking about it. It wasn't relatable. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that, and shout out to my guy Rashad from um, Earn Your Leisure. He's the one actually in 2018, like October is 2018. He told me like, yo, you have the biggest opportunity than anyone on social in real estate because you're actually a licensed loan officer. You actually work for banks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're speaking from the underwriter perspective. You're not speaking from a person who just invested and they're talking about loans. You're speaking from that underwriter perspective, the guidelines and what people don't understand. You just got to find a way to communicate that message. And he was right to this day. That's my brother. And I'm like, yo, I never would have saw Like he saw what y'all see now, 2018. It's just crazy. And I'm like, yo, all right, Rizzo. That's why I call him the Rizzo. I'm like, all right, Rizzo. You know what I'm saying? So like all of us are part of the financial Wu-Tang clan. You know what I mean? So he's the Rizzo to me. So that's why being a loan officer for me is great. Now switching banks to banks, Look, me, this is not a regular job. This is a sales job. I'm the CEO of my business. I don't care if I'm W-2. That means nothing to me, right? I run this like I'm self-employed. If I'm going to work for a bank, it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. I don't work for you. I can leave you at any given moment, just like you can fire me. They have at-will firing in their contracts, right? I can at-will fire your ass too. I love you. That's how I roll, right? So if I go from Chase to Wells to this bank, it don't matter to me because the bank is irrelevant. If that partnership between me and that bank don't work no more, if you can't service the clientele at a great pace, and if you can't give me what I need and what I deserve, then yo, deuces. I know my value. I know my worth. And I've changed in the last 10 years, probably six different companies. Because as I grow, that relationship may not work again, right? I look at myself like LeBron James, right? LeBron signs a two-year contract with a one-year player option. That's how I look at my employment situation. I'm going to give you two years, but after one year, I'm going to analyze, does this still make sense for me to opt back in mm-hmm. and stay for another year? You know what I mean? And if it don't, deuces, I got to go because I don't have time to waste and sit here and deal with one bank when there's hundreds of banks out there. And the everyday consumer, they're not going to go with me because I work for Chase or Wells or ABC Mortgage Company. They're going to work with me because of who I am. Mm-hmm. And once I started realizing that I am the brand, they're not the brand, because they want you to think they're the brand. They're not the brand. Nah. I don't care how many trillions you manage. That don't mean nothing to me. You're not the brand when it comes to this, because people are not doing business with those banks. They're dealing with that loan officer. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And once I started realizing that and taking that power back, you know, within the last 10 years, it doesn't matter what bank I work for. Like, you don't even know what bank I work for now. Because <laughs> you would never see me promote the bank. And then my relationships, they have to understand that. No disrespect. But you will never see me out here like waving your flag. Because, and this has happened to me personally. I don't need people, realtors, professional people that send me business to associate me as this is Matthew with XYZ Bank. And when you leave that bank, it's like, oh, why? What happened? None of your business. what are you business what difference does it make i'm still gonna close your deals you know what i mean so that's kind of how i look at being a loan officer but again if you want to be a loan officer you got to take 25 hour class you got to pass the class in the federal exam and then most importantly you got to find a bank that's willing to hire you and sponsor you sponsor your license and train you 
A lot of banks won't train new people. A lot of, like me personally, I'm hiring right now. I can't hire nobody, no. Even if I wanted to, it's too busy. And I just don't have time to train you on what's a mortgage right now or what's this or what's that. I can train you on the systems that we use, but you have to know mortgages already. You know what I'm saying? That's a different type of training. So if you want to get licensed, and I don't want to discourage no one from getting to this business, especially our black brothers and sisters and our Hispanic brothers and sisters, we need more of us in this chair like I'm in, because that's how we're going to be able to keep lending in our communities from people who are behind the desk that understand these communities and understand the borrower profile. You know what I mean? So I'm not discouraging everybody. Go for it. Just you're going to go find a local broker, a local mortgage company. They will probably hire you. They will probably give you a little bit of training, but you got to go on YouTube, watch videos, how to become a loan officer, learn about loan programs and go out there and get you some business. You said, so question, because you mentioned, you said you was busy. So you busy like right now, like in the middle of a pandemic, people buying houses too? No, you just heard off record what's going on, off, off, <laughs> off recording. You see what's happening. It's a Saturday at 1.23 p.m. And, my and man I'm in is the studio good. and we moving and shaking. Phone, my phone blowing up right now as we speak. I already missed 15 calls in 20 minutes we've been talking, right? Yeah. COVID didn't stop anything. Nothing. Slow things down, right? But it did not stop people. People losing their jobs. Look, how many people are in America? 300 plus million. Mm-hmm. How many lost their jobs during COVID? 20 million. 20 million. That's a small percentage of people who are not working. When you really, think about, when you really think about it. Yeah. When you think about it, right? You got 20 plus million, even if it's 40 million, right? It's still 330 million plus people in America. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not trying to throw, put any light on that number. It's a very high number. And I pray that everyone can get some form of employment back, right? But that's my mentality. I'm not looking at the doom and gloom. Most important lesson that I learned during the recession of 2008, 9, 10 is that if you focus on doom and gloom, you're going to be, consumed. your mind is going to be doom and gloom. I was so negative. I tried to commit suicide. Like I thought I was losing my life because I was losing all my materialistic items, right? I'm focused on the doom and gloom. I'm focused on the negative. I'm focused on the banks closing. I should have been getting to it. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because people was losing left and right like you. You could have been buying at the lower prices and stuff. You're damn right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I could have been getting <laughs> to it, right? But I didn't have these type of platforms like Black Wealth Renaissance to be out here and bring on people and I can learn from them, right? These platforms wasn't accessible from people that look like us, right? COVID it's a situation where people are focusing on the doom and gloom. And now this is bad because people are really losing their lives. I've lost several people that I know through the COVID. God bless all of them. And God bless everyone who lost someone because of this tragic virus. But I don't focus on that. I'm not sitting here watching the news all day to see the count go up. And I got caught up in that in the beginning. Like I'm looking at this stuff mm-hmm. and I'm feeding into it. And I'm like, yo, bro, get off the dumb box. Stop watching this because people going to die. Period. I just got to make sure I'm not one of them. None of my family members are one of them. I got to do what I got to do to protect us. But ultimately, I got to sit out here and work. I got to provide for my family. And if I'm blessed to still have income coming in, I got to make the best of my ability. And that's why during COVID, I kind of went crazy with content because I felt like I just needed to pour more into people during this time because a lot of people who follow me, they've never been through a recession. They don't understand 
when adversity hits and how it's going to affect them. So I felt like it was very important for me to stay with content, to keep content coming out, you know, no matter if I didn't have a haircut, I don't care if my internet service was bad on the Wi-Fi in my house. I don't care if my kids in the background, like whatever I got to do, I got to put the content out there to make sure people understand, like, look, the money is here. Go out here and buy something. Facts. So since you're talking about this recession and stuff, I want to know, like, what about those consumers who are buying right now? Are you telling them how they can protect themselves in the future to ride this out? Or is there certain requirements? Are they tightening up on the requirements? Can you like just talk to us from that consumer side? Well, yeah, I mean, guidelines, when quarantine started, America started closing down, you know, liquidity became an issue. Um, guidelines, especially with FHA, change. You know, you went from 580 credit scores to as high as 660 required. But we're sitting here now in June and July, those requirements are now starting to come down. You know, a lot of banks have opened back up to 640, 620, right? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of banks asking for reserves. You know, reserves is basically your mortgage payment after closing. A couple months of your mortgage payment left in your bank account or your 401k after closing. So if you got a $1,000 mortgage payment, they want to see three months of reserves, that'll be $3,000 left in your bank account on your 401k, right? Now, a lot of those banks stop doing that, right? So lenders added these overlays to protect themselves with the risk of the uncertainty. Rightfully so. If you're lending out money to people and you see all this going down, you want to make sure people can mm-hmm. repay. You know, period, point blank. So that's how my mindset is and that's how I look at it. And that's what I try to tell everybody. Yo, don't be mad because they changed the credit score. Just get your credit up, right? Pretty Life much. throws you lemons. You make lemonade. There's only... What are you going to you going to sit here and bitch and moan about you need a 600 credit score versus a 580? Why would you want a 580 credit score? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, where's your mentality at, right? And so, yes, there were changes, but people had to adjust and people flourished and got some great deals during COVID. How do you protect yourself? The best way you can protect yourself with anything, number one, make sure you have life insurance because anything can happen to any of us at any given point. And to really secure your generational wealth, you need to have insurance, right? So that money is passed down to your heirs. If you own real estate, you need an estate plan, right? Because now you need a trust or will because you need that vehicle Mm -hmm. to properly pass down your assets because there's a lot of tax implications. Number three, CPA, understanding the tax benefits of all of this, right? And number four, most importantly, you need reserves, right? The days of being house rich, and cash poor need to stop. Like, who cares if you can get 100% finance and a grant and use everybody's money? If you ain't got no money in your bank account, you're going in a house, the roof collapsed, how are you fixing it? Hmm. The boiler explodes, you know what I mean? The central air go out, how are you fixing it, right? How do we protect ourselves through a virus that we can't see? You can't protect yourself, Right. How do you protect yourself against your job going out of business? The only way you can do that is with reserves. You need to have a couple of months of your bills, three months, six months, 12 months, whatever it is, you need to have that in a stash. God forbid anything happens, you will be okay for a short period of time. So that's the best protection, brothers, is reserves. Don't be house rich and cash poor. I love it. I love that because we talk about that in like in our book. We talk about that on the page. We talk about that all the time. Like if you don't have that emergency fund built up, 
you are subject to whatever happens to you. Like you don't have no buffer between your savings or your investments and like the bullshit that just happened, whether it's a flat tire, whether it's you got it, like, like you said, the boiler just exploded or what. Mm-hmm. But I did want to ask you another question kind of along that same thought process. So let's say I'm one of the people that actually like, I'm prepared, you know what I'm saying? I'm in this time of COVID and I'm ready to like, let's say I'm ready to execute. What do I need to have to be doing something like what you said before we get into multifamily or something like that? What's the things that I need to be making sure I got on my checklist before I, you know, go up to the bank? Financial security. You know, financial security, I think, number one, making sure your job is intact. You know, making sure you got income coming in. Number two, capital. Capital equaling money. You know, you have money for your down payment, your closing costs. You have reserves like we just spoke about. If you are using OPM strategies, other people's money, with down payment assistance, grants, gifts, you have to make sure you have all your ducks in a row with all that stuff. Credit is the backbone of America, right? Without credit, you can't really do anything. So you need to make sure your credit is where it needs to be. I would probably recommend if you're above 660, you know, that's a good place to start in my opinion, where interest rate wise, you won't get clobbered. Like if you're below 660, you're going to get clobbered. Anyway, there's no way around it. Like, yeah, so you can buy a house at 580. Great. Go ahead, buy it. Execute, right? But just understand, you're going to get clobbered, right? <laughs> and that's okay. But if you are a person who has some time, work on building up your credit, you know, and getting that in the position. And then I think um, the last thing I would say that how to get prepared, most importantly, right here, mentally. Your mindset is the number one tool to all of this. If your mindset doesn't shift from emotional home buyer to CEO of a real estate business, I don't care if you're buying your first home, your primary residence, a vacation home, you know, an Airbnb, your first time investor. If your mindset is not CEO mentality when you go into this, you're going to become the prey, right? Because there's a lot of predators out here in this business that's waiting to eat. Right. And if you're not operating like a boss, like a CEO, and you understand you have your team in place, no one can take advantage of you. And there's so many people out here that get taken advantage of because they're so emotional. They're so, oh, this is my first time. I don't know. Stop speaking. Stop dimming your light. Right. Stop saying you don't know when there's Google. Stop saying you don't know when there's YouTube. Stop saying you don't know when it's Black Wealth Renaissance. Stop saying you don't know when you have all these things available to you to help you know. This ain't rocket science. There's no more excuses, right? Mindset is the most important thing out of everything I said. Hey. Message. <laughs> bars, man. My Message. Giving them I like that. <laughs> I love it. I love Word. it. And what you saying, I had one question because you said, you know, get your finances in order and make sure you got a secure job. What if it's like maybe like an entrepreneur trying to, they might have been in business for a few years now. And they're trying to execute on buying some property. What is the way for entrepreneurs to start trying to get a mortgage? Is it a little bit more difficult? Absolutely, it's more difficult, right? Because when you're dealing with self-employed folks, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, the tax code is not built for the wage earner. It's number one, right? The tax code is built for the self-employed business owner and the real estate investor. And with the perks of being either one of those two things, or both of them combined, is that you get to deduct your life away. So what most self-employed folks do, they write off too much, right? 
they made a million dollars, but they told the government after that million dollars, they spent 990,000. They only made 10 grand, right? So when you're getting a mortgage, we're going off your net income as a self-employed person. See, when you're a wage earner, we go off the gross. When you're self-employed, we go off the net. Hmm. So if your net is 10,000, 20,000, that's the income we got to use to get you qualified. So that's not going to help you buy anything, right? So understanding your taxes is important. And this is why I, earlier I said your team is very important. CPA. Who should be on your team? A CPA. CPA. Mm-hmm. A CPA who understands real estate. Most importantly, they have to understand real estate and they have to ask you, what are your real estate goals? So that way they understand when they're doing your taxes, they're not putting you in a position where if you're trying to go for conventional financing like Fannie Mae loans or FHA loans or VA loans, where we need that income to help you qualify, you're not losing, so to speak. Now, if you go the hard money route, the private money, the asset-based lending, where your W-2s, your tax returns are irrelevant, then great. You can go that route. Just understand you're going to have to put more money down to acquire that property. So you have two lanes in my world. You can go that conventional type financing where that's going to give you the cheapest money that's available, or you go to private side, hard money, asset base, where you can go buy your LLC, where you don't have no income verifications, where we're just using that income from the property to lend on, but you're going to pay much higher money. That's the expensive money, right? But both are tools, both are tools, right? You can't just build your house with a hammer. You need right? multiple tools. You need multiple tools. You so need when saws, all of it. You need man, you may need a damn chainsaw. Like who knows? <laughs> like you need tools. So that's why folks, if you're looking to get a mortgage, you need to make sure, look, stop going to the bank that you bank with because you think that's going to give you the best deal because you got your money there. No. Again, CEO mindset is finding the loan officer that has all the tools, right? Mm-hmm. To help you achieve your real estate goals. The loan officer at the bank or just most loan offs in general, they only have one or two tools. They're not sitting there trying to help you get from one to 10. So picking your team, again, is the, one of the most important things, especially if you're self-employed, having the right team by your side that understands taxes and understands creative financing to help you achieve your goals. Man, I'm so happy you said that. Like, you don't understand. Like, because <laughs> that with the team is so crucial because I use my personal life, for example. Like, once I started understanding a little bit, just a little bit more about taxes, I was like, okay, wait, you can get these different deductions. You can, you know, write this different stuff off. I go to my grandma. She owns real estate. I'm like, Granny, did your, you know, your CPA get you through with all this? You know, getting your write-offs, you put this much money into the repairs, this and the third. Oh, no, I don't think she wrote none of that off. Like she's not familiar with it though. She's not a real estate like understanding or base CPA. So it's yeah. like she did everything to keep you in kind of what we was talking about earlier, compliance. So my granny don't owe the IRS nothing, but she also ain't getting none of the benefits that she should be getting from her real estate. Like you, man, I'm just so happy you touched on that. Cause if you have a team, you can have a team that don't know what they doing around you. And that's damn near just as bad as not having a team in the first place. Well, look at it, right? What's the definition of generational wealth? The definition of generational wealth is not making money. Mm -mm. It's passing Passing it down. down. How do you pass it down properly? Tax planning, estate planning, planning. period. That's the most important thing of real estate. (laughs) It's tax planning and estate planning. 
So it blows my mind that we don't have, we're, I don't see on the gram or any of these places on social media where we're having more conversations about wills and trust. How many fucking GoFundMe's do we see? You know what I'm saying? fucking many, bro. Too fucking many, right? But why are we not having conversations about life insurance, wills, trusts, estates? Fuck buying a house and how you get along. How the hell do you protect it? Your phone is protected, but your life ain't. And we uh, just posted that shit, bro. <laughs> like, you know it's crazy. I, I, I don't understand it because, like, those same. So, like, the thing that I usually run into when I'm asking folks about that is, like, well, I don't have shit to protect. Or I don't have shit to, you know, I don't have nothing to pass down anyway. Life insurance literally creates an estate immediately. You went from being worth nothing. I mean, I'm sorry, but worth nothing to like worth a hundred thousand dollar policy right there if you died within the period. Like, yeah, I don't understand that. There's so many different wealth plays, and this is kind of what I learned from being on Wall Street at Chase. Right, most of these guys I was speaking to, they were they, their homes were vested in trust, mm. and I'm like, why? Why are you doing all of this? Yo, it's Big Fred, aka Daddy Tuzoadi Podcast. Kiki Tubafetu, and we are the Sobering Podcast. Tune in to us every second Wednesday for fire conversations and interviews about South African music, sneakers, and street culture. Check us out on the Revolt Podcast Network. Shout out to our moms. And then once they started explaining, I started understanding the benefit of having trust and all this other stuff. I said, yo, this is crazy. We don't do this in my hood. We just go buy a house. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Somebody die, you just pass it down. Yeah, but what happens when someone dies, though, right? They don't know what the fuck they're doing, so they wind up selling it for pennies on the dollars because they just all thirsty to just get a quick dollar that they're going to yeah. go spend on some fucking bullshit anyway, right? And we don't really understand what they just been inherited because no one taught us that, right? right? No one's teaching us stuff. So, you know, it's easy to acquire real estate and make money, but it's even easier to lose it all. And this is why I always preach protection of your assets. You know, I preach life insurance, estate planning on my page because I want people to realize that it's just not about buying a real estate or how you hack the system or how you get to 100 units. I don't care if you have 100 units if you ain't got no insurance. Mm. If you ain't got no, when I speak to investors and I'm like, yo, is your trust set up? Is your will set up? But I'm telling you, a lot of investors out here that y'all got to see, they ain't got their shit together either. Mm. Message. Hey. A lot of people ain't got their stuff together. That's the next episode. We're going to talk about these damn estates and trust. You should. You should. The community needs this information because what happens in our community? When we hear people, parents died or grandparents they died. They sell it. And they, they sell they it. sell the house for pennies on a dollar because they had no real estate knowledge or there's always some sort of fight within the heirs because uh-huh. this person thinks they should get more than this person because they was there for that person. No, if you got that shit in writing, your opinion doesn't mean yeah. anything. My, my plans aren't writing. Screw you. Yeah, like, right? and I'm dead and gone, so you can't fucking do anything anyway. What the fuck can you do about it at that point? You can't do nothing, so kick rocks. But this is why in our communities we need to have these type of conversations at the forefront because people need to understand, hey, I'm buying a house. Okay, let me go get some insurance now. Let me go get an estate plan. Let me go see this person. Let me go see this person. And this is one thing that we try to provide on our team is giving people this access to these industry professionals that can help them really now create that generational wealth. I love to hear it, my brother.
Man, and I think that's a great way just to end this one on this episode. We're going to pivot to our last section called What's on Your Timeline, my brother. Basically, just anything that you saw on your TL that you want to talk about. Could be something light, could be something heavy, just something that you feel like you want to get off your chest. Obviously, over the past 60 days, I mean, we've seen a lot of COVID deaths and things like that. So again, um, first of all, shout out to all the first responders and all the essential workers, the doctors, the nurses, you know, the teachers, um, the barbers. My God, shout out to the barbers, right? <laughs> shout out to the barbers. But shout out to all those folks. But, you know, one thing that's on my timeline, that's heavy on my heart right now, and I was alluding to this earlier, is being a Black loan officer in today's climate means more than to me now than it's ever meant before in my life. I never looked at myself as a black loan officer, to be honest with you. My clients are black, brown, Indian, Chinese, white. Doesn't matter, right? Green doesn't have a color to me. But being a black loan officer, especially in today's time, um, just fresh off celebrating Juneteenth, uh, which was 155 years ago, which is not a long time. When you start thinking about all the adversity that our people have been through, as African-Americans in this country, from slavery to Jim Crow laws to redlining, which came out as part of, you know, FHA back in the 30s, right? So you think about all the segregation that we had to go through, to even have the right to vote, to go to the same schools and restaurants, to have, you know, just community, so to speak, to buy homes, right? What our people had to go through to just buy a house. Now, as a black loan officer in 2020, when all of this stuff happened in the 30s, we're talking, you know, 60, 70 years ago, however long it was. It's not a long time ago. We all probably know someone who's lived during that time, right? So it's not a long time ago. Just, but for me, the responsibility that I feel like I have right now as being a black loan officer, I feel like we have such a great opportunity to go to that next level over the next 155 years as a community. Money is available to us right now. Banks are lending to us. There's still racism, systematic racism. Of course, I'm not stupid, right? There's always going to be some sort of red line. I'm not stupid, right? I work in this industry. I see it firsthand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But is it, is it what it was in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s? Absolutely not, Right. So think about the opportunities that we have today that our great-grandparents didn't have. We have the right to vote and to own some shit. Mm. And if we don't own some shit, we're never going to change the systematic racism that's in our country because the people and the politicians, they're never going to look like us if we don't start raising up politicians. You know what I'm saying? If we don't start raising up people, stop. there's nothing wrong with being an athlete but now we've got to promote now more financial advisors, more loan officers, more insurance agents, you know, more financial service professionals in our communities. We need more people that look like me on this side of the table that know our communities, that work with companies that want to lend and help our communities. And we're that voice. Hmm. So what's on my timeline right now, what's really important to me right now, fellas, is really taking the edge. And this is why I built out my studio and everything I was telling you off record. This is why I invested the money into doing this. And so that way, my content now, when I'm putting stuff out there, it's crisp, it's clean, it's professional looking. The content, the words is going to be still me. If anything's going to be ratchet, let it be me. 
like everything else gotta look good, right? But yeah. I gotta make sure what I'm saying, like I take this seriously and I want everybody to understand that my role, I don't take lightly. You know, I wanna help as many people as possible achieve the goal of building generational wealth through real estate. And being a black loan officer is very important to me right now. So that's what I really wanna say about that subject. Just we owe it to our ancestors to buy some shit and to own some shit. Because if not, what did they fight for? Why did people get killed? Even our allies, right? Why did they stand beside us to make these laws, to do things, to empower us, if we're not going to take ownership and go ahead and fucking do it? So we got to go own some shit, people. There's no excuses. It's 2020. I don't want to hear you broke. I don't want to hear that you ain't got no money or you don't know. That's an excuse. Get over yourself, man. You're being selfish. You're being selfish to the people who came before us, and you're being selfish to the people that's coming in your family line, in your bloodline. You're being selfish to them, too. If you don't own some shit, I don't care if you buy your primary residence. If you're one of those people who say you never want to buy a house to live in, you just want to rent, go to fucking Milwaukee, Cleveland, Detroit, one of these states, go buy something and own it, right? Mm -hmm. Investment property. If you live in California, New York, it's too expensive for you to buy in those markets, go outside your market and go buy some shit, right? There's no excuse. We owe it to our ancestors, man, to own some shit. Bars. And with that, man, we're going to let you plug yourself in. Where can the people find you? Where can they follow up with you and keep up with all these gems that you're dropping? MG The Mortgage Guy, YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Videos pretty much daily. MG The Mortgage Guy on Instagram. If you want to get pre-approved or if you want to get a second opinion on the deal that you're currently working on, just click the link in my bio, hit apply now, or you want a second opinion. Unfortunately, right now, due to the volume, it's very difficult to do phone consultations for people right now. Unfortunately, I had to cut that off um, because with the rates being so low, so many people want to buy. So my team and I, we have to focus on that. But jump on the lives, man. Jump on my Instagram live when you see me on. Jump on my YouTube lives. It's always Q&A. And, you know, I'm here to help you in the best way I can. But and if you DM me, just understand, it's an autoresponder. <laughs> It's not me talking to you. I'm probably not going to respond to your DM because there's too many and I can't and I'm too busy. But jump on the lives, get your questions asked and answered. I'm in my comments. I'll answer questions in the comments and just go watch the content, man. A lot of my content on YouTube has Q&As. Just watch it. I guarantee you a lot of your questions will get answered. Hey, y'all heard it first. Y'all go follow up with my guy. Y'all definitely go subscribe on YouTube. Follow him on Instagram. And before we wrap it up, we're going to get into a little bit of house cleaning, man. So look, we just want to say y'all definitely head over to blackwealthrenaissance.com. Check out our website. You can see our weekly blogs that we're putting up. We're putting out some great blogs. We've really been focusing on just putting out information that you can really read and act upon. Um, and I also want to say thank you to all our listeners coming in weekly, week in, week out. Thank you for helping us grow. We're growing weekly. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for responding. Thank you for everything that you're doing to help us get successful. And thank you for following the page. What you got, Jared? Just piggybacking off what you said, you know, thank you, y'all. Uh, keep looking at the page. Keep making sure that you're keeping up with what we're doing because we got a lot of cool stuff coming out. And just keep letting us know what type of content y'all want to see. Do we need to talk to more loan officers? Are y'all trying to buy y'all first homes? What problems are you facing right now that's keeping you from building? What? Reach out to us and let us know so we can help you. Amen. 
Oh, and also, y'all buy our book, Manage Your Money Like the 1%. You can get it in an ebook, you can get it on Kindle, and you can buy it from the paperback on Amazon. So we got options for you. Y'all definitely hit the link in the show notes, and we're just trying to help y'all be great. Until then, this is Blackwell for Insight, signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.